I was born at the tail end of the baby boom, so I came in post-Vietnam War and those kind of things. And that's important to note because from a civil rights vantage point, a lot of the work had been done by those who came just before me. So when thinking of my parents and their uh, contemporaries, many of them fought to open doors that very few got through, and my generation were the ones who really got to benefit from a lot of that. I was born in Newark, New Jersey, and that was also relevant in this discussion because I was five when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. died or was killed, and it was traumatizing because you're looking at this situation where you're seeing a community just kind of falling apart and everyone was glued to the television about this man that I really had just heard his name that day. And the aftermath of that was really what left an indelible imprint on me. My community was turned upside down. Um, Newark was one of those cities where a lot of the rioting had happened. And my mom was an artist, a textile designer, and one of the few African-American textile designers, actually. So I don't remember her really talking about politics. But I do remember this trip through my neighborhood after Dr. King's assassination. And she walked us through downtown, which was now just totally turned upside down. Buildings had been torched and cars were turned over and the residue of the anger was still in the streets. And uh, she said to us, because uh, we were shocked, it was like, well, what happened to the store we used to buy our clothes at and everything? And she said, people were hurt because of what happened to Dr. King. She said, however, the response to that hurt is something that I want you girls to see. And it was myself and my younger sister, Sabrina. And what she said was that the response should never be to anger and frustration that you tear your own stuff up. And for her, there was something about the backlash coming back on those who were already hurt and in most pain. And I never forgot that. It was something about the fact that we tore our neighborhood up. And so that point was very important for me because it shaped and framed my approach to activism and really lay a foundation upon which it was always about building, always about challenging, but in this way that always turned toward building and toward um, empowerment. Wow. What has been the nature of your organizing work or your ministry work in the South that you think is unique to the South? Yeah. Clue us in in the rest of the country to have an understanding of the nature of racial justice work in the South. How is that different? When thinking about the justice work in the South, one has to go in with almost unrealistic expectations, like expectations that are beyond rational mm -hmm. thought. Okay, why? Because most people would say, why would you try and bring conservative black preachers together without LGBTQ people to fight for justice and LGBTQ rights? Like, why not pick other partners, okay? Whereas conservative clergy have always been committed to justice. Mm -hmm. And the justice frame trumps everything. Mm -hmm. You get that if you get Southern organizing. And I'll be spe I'm speaking from the frame of the LGBTQ kind of work okay. that a lot of my, my stuff is yeah. linked to. Yeah. 
many, many more seemingly cons- publicly conservative clergy are actually much more moderate than they can publicly say. If you get how to work with them, they can be phenomenal allies. And I have the benefit of other justice movements when thinking about the women's movement, where you had men who could not dare publicly come out and say how much they wanted to make sure their daughters had as much access as their sons. Or in the black uh, civil rights movement, when you had white folk who really were much less kind of to the left, I mean to the right rather, but could come out and say, I really do support this, but this is how I can support you. We have black clergy who do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you're able to build these relationships, Mm -hmm. incredible transformative things can happen. Mm -hmm. And the thing about Southern organizing is because there is so many areas where we have challenges, education and poverty and homelessness and on and on and on, health disparities, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of space for common ground. And so we find those ways to come together in common ground. And now in our work with the NAACP, they have become some of our most staunch allies in terms of LGBTQ rights. Mm -hmm. And that came from the frame of general justice. Mm -hmm. And they get it as black folk. So then let's build from there. What, What do you vision is possible is within reach based on some of the challenges that you're facing or things that you, you think is possible as it applies to racial justice work um, at the intersection of, of race and, and justice. Um, I'm excited for the Christian church in particular because we have the gift of the LGBTQ population. Every generation gets a gift. It's true. This generation's gift is lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. My highest hope, and I say this to all the clergy I talk to that are conservative, my highest hope is that the church will beat science this time. Will we be able to receive the other, and as we look at otherness, without science saying it is so? With black folk, they were like, well, just genetically, we're inferior to white folk, right? And then they realized, well, actually, you know, Jesse Jackson blew that out the water. And then as women, it was like, well, women really can't vote because women don't have the mental capacity to do this kind of analysis or go to colleges and things. And now women far outpace men in terms of attendance to colleges and even seminaries we're we're getting there. So in many of these instances, you're seeing things that are, are getting debunked. But before there is the gene that says, oh, now we get this gene, we see the gene that says why a person's lesbian or gay or bi or why this person's gender is not lined up, and then the church says, oh, okay, well, then we have to accept it because science says it so. Would it not be wonderful if we could accept it because God said it so? And and that's a very high hope of mine, a prayer, that we'll, we'll come out on the winning side of this one. 